This podcast is not meant to be professional advice of any kind. It's meant to be informative and entertaining. If you make any changes to your life, see the appropriate professional before you do so. Welcome to Super Age. My name is David Stewart. I am the founder of Ageist and your host on the Super Age show. We talk about how to live healthier, how to live longer, and how to be happier. And who doesn't want that? Today's show is brought to you by Inside Tracker, the dashboard to your inner health. Go to insidetracker.com slash ages, save 20% on all their products. Today's show is also brought to you by SRW. Aging is inevitable, but how we age is chiefly a matter of our choices. If you go to srw.co, you can save 20% on all their products by using the code AGIST20 at checkout. Welcome to episode 121 of the Super Age Podcast. It is great to have you with us. This is going to be dropping on February the 15th, 2023. This week on the show, we're going to be answering your questions that we got in through our Instagram story shout out. So we're going to get to those in just a second. I'm going to review some of the things that I learned last year that I've been incorporating into my health and wellness routine that may be useful to you. And before we get to that, a quick update on where I'm at. I'm actually in lower Manhattan, which is now called FIDI, not FIDI. <laughs> Made that mistake. It's the old financial district. And there's, you know, I guess there's like financial stuff that goes on down here, but it's not at all like it used to be. Um, it's mostly residential and it's kind of cool. And I never would have thought I would have said it was cool down here, but it is. It is, it's just really lovely being in New York. And I'm, I think for myself and, you know, this isn't everybody's jam, but for me, I'm finding that being in, like in New York is just a very sort of neck up kind of place. Like it's very much about thinking and ideas and art and interactions with other people and doing business and connections and that sort of thing, which is great. Love that. And then in Utah, it's kind of, I don't mean to be insulting, but it's sort of like neck down, right? So it's a lot of physical activity. It's a lot being outdoors. There's the occasional wild animal, which is kind of cool. There's my ski racing program, which I'm going to be getting back to hopefully on Wednesday for about 10 days. And I really like, I'm just selfish. What can I say? I just want some of everything. So I want to be here in New York to get that mental cerebral fix and you know i'm fortunate i know some pretty interesting pretty smart people here and they get my brain spinning up and i love that and i also love you know being in a snowstorm up at ten thousand feet and skiing because i think that's just unbelievable too so a little of both today's show is brought to you by srw laboratories out of new zealand their vision is to extend human health span. SRW Labs curates the very latest in science and research to formulate premium nutraceuticals that support your cellular health, especially as you age. Working with their scientific advisory board, they seek to understand and address the causes of aging at a cellular level, providing support across 12 bodily systems with an approach that is unique to SRW. They know that doing one thing well, such as eating healthily, won't have the desired effect on your health. This is why SRW seeks to educate people on the factors that influence aging and, more importantly, 
biological age. Use the code AGEST20 at checkout and save 20% off any order. Go to srw.co, .co, not .com. Use the code AGEST20 at checkout, save 20% on all their products. Hey, today's show is also brought to you by Inside Tracker, the dashboard to your inner health. My car's got a speedometer. It's got a gas gauge. It's got all these indicator lights on it. It lets me know what's going on inside the car so I don't get any kind of surprises. So if something comes up, I can take some kind of action on it. Like, hey, time to put some gas in the car. Well, that's why I use Inside Tracker. I want a dashboard to my inner health. I want to know what's going on inside me so that if there's something that comes up, I can take care of it. Their food first, supplement second suggestions have really helped me dial in my health. Go to insidetracker.com slash ageist. Save 20% on all their products. So this week on the show, we're doing reader questions and some of the things that I've learned in the last year that may be helpful to you. And because of that, we're going to skip the just try this episode that we usually do at the end because that's sort of what the whole show is today. So the first question is, is downhill skiing safe for the first time after 65? Well, my first question is, how safe do you want to be? I mean, you know, walking out your door, how it's, that's not 100% safe. Um, step off the curb, like, you know, not 100% safe. All right. That's a bit of an exaggeration and not such a great uh, corollary. The, you know, what I can say is there are different kinds of downhill skiing. So there's racing um, and there are different kinds of that too. So I just do slalom. I do giant slalom. There's a certain amount of speed associated with that, but it's not the crazies that do downhill at 70 miles an hour. Like I'm, I'm just not up for that. I think to answer the question, you know, to start skiing at 65, why should you not start skiing at 65? I think that it does require a level of fitness. So you do want to prepare. Um, you do want to have strong legs and strong core. Um, I don't think you want to go out there with without that. You need a level of cardiovascular fitness because, you know, guess what? You're sort of high up in the air. Uh, most ski resorts, I think, the, you know, the lowest is going to be like 6,000 feet and maybe you're up like 12,000. So, you, you want to make sure that you're going to be okay with that, but absolutely, like, go out there and do it, you know? You're, you're 65. Um, when are you going to have the opportunity to do this again? And if you do it and you get reasonably good at it, you can do it for a long time. I ski at one of the places here in Utah called Alta, and I'm 64, and I'm probably in the middle of the age group that that skis there i mean there are people in their 80s and 90s that ski there so i wouldn't worry about the safety part too much um i'm not advising you to do this um because again it sort of depends on your risk profile um you know my feeling is absolute safety is absolute boredom so <laughs> i I like to take some risks, and I personally, actually, you know, on the skiing front, being up in the mountains in the winter, if you're dressed right, is really a pretty amazing experience, and if you have an opportunity to do that, you should do that. Okay, somebody wants me to give you an elevator pitch. Can you define, we are ageist in three words, oh, geez, three, um, okay, let's do this, uh, vivid, vital, 
forward leaning. That can be hyphenated. So then maybe I got like three words there. So we're about this new cohort of people that are living in this new way. Um, you know, we're living, at least I'm living differently than my parents lived at this age and very different from what their parents lived at this age. And we're, I'm way over three words, I'm sorry. <laughs> we're all about showing what that looks like. And we're not saying people have to live this way. You can live any way you want. Um, but if you want to live this way, we can help show you how to do it. So it's about the 360 ecosystem around how people in this age are living, what they're eating, what their activity is, where they're vacationing, what they're wearing, like all that stuff. And a lot, a lot of it is confusing to people. So we, we hope to bring some clarity to that. Um, back to the three words, vivid, vital, forward-leaning, hyphenated. How'd I do? I think I did okay. Okay, next question. A toughie. Does age matter when it comes to dating? Well, of course it does. Um, I mean, if I'm, say I'm 60, I it would be inappropriate for me to be dating someone who's 20, right? So yeah, age matters. Of course it does. Um, it, is it an impediment to dating? I've heard that. I think it can be. I don't think it has to be. I think that when we study people our age for large clients, um, if we're doing research or something, we tell them, don't focus on the age. It's the mindset. So, you know, think about what's your mindset and then how does that mindset match up with the person that you may be interested in dating. Um, and I, you know, what's the age range on that? I mean, I, I don't know. It's, I'll, I'll get in trouble if I say anything. So I would just say, try and match up your ambitions, how you see yourself in the future with how the other person sees themselves in the future and go for that. And in, in those cases, I don't really think that, it, you know, I don't know. I don't think age is that important in dating, although I, I have heard and I have seen evidence that dating at this age can be challenging just because of the, you know, the less of us, less single of us around. The, the pool's a little smaller. So hope that helped. So the next reader question is a tough one. You guys give me really hard questions. Uh, how to embrace aging especially as a woman. All right, so I'm just going to carve out the, especially as a woman, because I'm a guy and there are distinct gender differences in how we age. <clears throat> but we'll put that to the side. How to embrace aging. So the first thing is, hey, you're alive. Um, the alternative to aging is not being alive. So uh, right away, um, gratitude. You know, we're, we're doing all right. We're still in the game. The next thing is thinking about what we call like the big rocks. And we, I didn't make it the big rock theory. Somebody else thought of that. But the way we apply it is this idea of sleep, nutrition, activity, and de-stressing. So those are sort of the big things. So if, if those are good, um, then it's much easier to you know, be who we are because we, we feel good about our physicality. And remember, physicality and our sense of physicality really has 
everything to do with how we feel about ourselves and thus embrace aging. The next bit is thinking about purpose and posse. So thinking about, you know, what is it that that you can do to contribute to others? And I think purpose, and this is something I'm, I'm rather adamant about, that purpose does not come from passion. Passion comes from purpose. So think about how you can help other people. Maybe they're the people closer to you. Maybe they're people far away. And that helps tremendously. And it's not so much about embracing aging, which is a really complicated question, but it's more about like, how do you feel about yourself at any age? You know, um, these are things that help people at any age. And the last one is posse. Hey, you need a gang. Um, this is, you know, life is a social activity. <laughs> and, um, you know, filling our lives with people that we care about, with people that care about us. And you don't need a lot, but, you know, you need that sort of core group. And if you don't have that, you know, um, become a joiner. Say yes. Um, see what you can do about upping your, your posse value. And that may help. Okay, the next question. Was there one moment when you decided to start Aegist? There was a moment where I did decide to start the investigation of what was going on out in the world that led to the creation of Aegis. I just didn't, didn't wake up one morning and said like, hey, let's create what all of you know to be Aegis today. It started really as an investigation because I had done, I, I had a long career as a photographer and I had just finished a job where I was working on a, I'm not going to name any names here, but a, a company had hired me to do a job and Essentially, the people who were using the product, who were featured using the product, were not actually buying the product. Their parents were buying it for them, and I thought that's kind of weird. And so, you know, we we I had a conversation with the folks who hired me about that, and I said, "Why aren't we talking to these other people who were closer to my age? Because we're the ones who are actually writing the check." And it and that sort of led to a long conversation, which was very interesting. And it led to me doing, you know, maybe six months of investigation into why there was so much youth marketing and the obsession with youth marketing and why really all the communication that I was seeing at this point, this was about eight years ago, aimed at people my age. I was 56 at the time, was that if we, you know, like we were a problem in need of a solution, there was, there was something wrong with us and that. We were often medicalized and therefore infantilized, and I didn't really like that. So that, that was sort of the beginning of it, but I, I didn't really ever in my wildest imagination imagine it would be what it is now and that I would be doing you know, something as radical as a podcast. I mean, I was a photographer. I didn't really write, talk, speak, any of that. I just took pictures. I, I was good at it, but I, I didn't imagine doing this. So I think that... You know that that was that, that was the that was the origin of it. But you know, when people start endeavors, we very rarely are able to accurately predict the trajectory of these things because you know it's like you're driving a car at night, and if you're on an unfamiliar road, you really only know 
uh, as far as the headlights go. And it was sort of like that for like a couple of years. And then we, you know, got our rhythm and then we developed what is Aegis today. Next question. How much sleep do we need as we age? Ha. Ah. <laughs> okay. So as an adult, my understanding is that our need for sleep does not really change as we age. However, our ability to sleep and get good sleep can change. I am a sleep fanatic. I, my feeling is sleep is a performance activity and I do my best to sleep as, you know, to get as much quality sleep as I can. Um, you know, as we've heard on this podcast over the last few weeks, as one ages, one circadian rhythm changes a little bit. So oftentimes people wake, start waking up earlier, going to bed earlier, and they often wake up in the middle of the night, you know, because the, the various hormones and chemicals in their body that are designed to keep them asleep aren't working as well. So I, I think, you know, I'm not a sleep expert. We've had several of them on this show. My understanding is that you know, we're we're sort of hardwired for like, you know, somewhere between seven and nine hours of sleep a night. And that if we're getting less than the amount of sleep that we need, and it, and it varies from person to person. I do know people, my friend, Dr. Michael Bruce, who's on our scientific advisory board, otherwise known as the sleep doctor. I think the last time I asked him like his sleeping habits, he only sleeps six hours a night because he's trained his brain to do REM and slow wave deep sleep um, to get, because those are the positive effects of sleeping, to get those um, fully within his six hours rather than eight hours. Now, he's, you know, takes this even further than I do. So I, I would say, you, you know, try and get eight hours of sleep at night. <laughs> and, um, you know, if it's, if it's hard, if, if, you're, if you're waking up, if you're not getting, if you feel you're not getting enough sleep, if you wake up, you're tired, um, then you're probably not sleeping enough. And, and it might be a good idea for you to see what you can do to increase your sleep. Um, there's a lot of stuff out there. We've done a lot of podcasts on this that would require me a long answer as to how to increase your sleep. But um, do some research and see what you can do to improve it as you can. All right. The next reader question is, why is it so hard to lose weight? Well, that's um, that's an interesting one, and it you know since something like sixty percent of the American population is overweight and thirty percent are obese, this is definitely a big one. So, losing weight can be really hard, um, and I don't want to minimize that. Um, it's it, it it requires a few different things. Um, you need you know the first is clearly nutrition. Make sure that you're getting the right kind of food, the right mix of macros, being carbohydrate, protein, fat. If you don't know what that what the right mix is for you, um, go see a nutritionist. They're great. They're like the most underused resource in America. Nutritionists. Um, you know, they, we we probably spend way more on car mechanics than we do on nutritionists, and I I think that's a little out of balance. 
So, you know, you got to get the food thing dialed in right. And some of that is, you know, reducing the amount of calories. But the other side of the equation here is activity and, you know, the right kinds of activity and the right amount of activity. So, you know, that's going to be a a mix of, uh, you know, sort of zone two cardio and strength building. And strength building is one of the big things that people our age tend to sort of leave out. And hey, uh, the more muscle you've got, the higher your metabolism is. The more muscle you've got, the more places for that glucose load to go. So if you, if your glucose doesn't have anywhere to go, it's just going to become fat. So, you, you know, you want to do that. And if you don't know how to do these things, um, you can get a trainer. You can just hire, a, you know, go to an online... There's, there's like tons and tons of resources out there. But the, I would say the biggest impediment is a mindset one. And the mindset that says this cannot work for me or it will not work for me or I'm just not one of those people, you know, that's the biggie. So what I tell people is you get up in the morning, you look in the mirror and you say to yourself, I am an athlete. No matter what, you know, no matter what condition your body's in, you just say, I am an athlete and then behave as an athlete would behave. And as Bob Bowerman, the founder of Nike, said, if you have a body, you are an athlete. So that's, um, it's a tough one, though. And it's something that requires effort. It requires focus. Um, but it can absolutely 100% be done. And age is not really a factor in that. Um, it's just, you know, as we get older, we tend to get a little more stuck in our ways and think that maybe things aren't possible, but they are. Okay. Next question. What's the best kind of milk? Oh boy. Um, so anytime we get into the realm of, you know, foods and diets, it's, it becomes on like sort of proto religious. So, you know, people have very strong beliefs around this sort of stuff. I'm, I'm just going to tell you what I do. Uh, I'm not terribly averse to having real whole cow milk in my coffee every once in a while. Like, I think it's okay. It doesn't really affect me. I'm not lactose intolerant. Some of you are. If you're lactose intolerant, of course, that's a problem. You can't have that. Um, I I will say as far as the sort of nut-based milk, um, which is mostly what I have, I I use unsweetened almond milk. You want to be really careful by looking at the label of that stuff. How much sugar is in it? Like, what's the glucose load there? Because some of this stuff, you know, like the, what did I, I was in the grocery store the other day and it was like barista, uh, barista model oat milk. Like, yeah, oat milk needs a barista model, but whatever. Um, it was, it had this like fantastic glucose load. It was like, <laughs> as well drink like a Mountain Dew or something. So be careful of that. Um, I, you know, I think eating cheese once in a while, you're probably going to survive. I think you'll be all right. Um, unless you're lactose intolerant. Some people are. Um, but I don't, I don't really have a, a hard red line about the milk stuff with the exception of the glucose load. That, that to me, I, I can't handle that. Glucose spikes, inflammation, brain health, all that bad. So, you know, just pay attention to that. I think you'd be okay. 
Last reader question. What's your research on cholesterol meds? I work out five to six times a week and eat healthy. I'm not sure that that statement goes with the question, but um, I, I don't personally do research um, on cholesterol meds. My understanding, and there are various, you know, different sort of metrics on cholesterol. There's LDL, HDL, total triglycerides, and then ApoB. I th to me, um, from, from my, my understanding is ApoB is the one to look at. Um, if you're not getting your ApoB tested, you should. And, you know, my buddy, Dr. Roizen at the Cleveland Clinic, it's essentially the lower the ApoB, the better. So low ApoB, good. And I would say before you get into the, you know, statin conversation, and I am not a statin hater, by the way. Um, I don't really see a huge problem with them. But again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. Um, I, there's a huge amount, there's a huge effect one can have on their blood lipids based on behavior and diet. So I, I would go there first. And I know this person said, well, they eat a healthy diet. Mm, you know, we don't really know what that means. What, is, what does that actually mean? You know? What's, um, how much saturated fat, trans fat, what, what else are you eating enough oatmeal? Are there, you know, there's a lot of other sort of dietary things that one can do to bring down one's bad cholesterol levels and also around activity. So I would look at those first. And then, um, if you go to your physician and a statin is called for, um, investigate it. Um, I don't, I'm, you know, like I said, I'm not a statin hater. Um, some people are sort of blanket pharma haters. Um, and, you know, I understand the reasons for that. But um, I, would, I would have an open mind about that. Again, um, my, my buddy, Dr. Mike Roizen at the Cleveland Clinic, I asked him this question a couple months ago. And his response was basically, the lower you can get your ApoB, the better. There's no upside to, you know, high ApoB. So. Okay, so let's talk about four things that I learned about last year that I've incorporated in my life and that, you know, I, I think are really interesting. So the first one is sauna. Oh, my God, I feel like I bore you guys to death with this. But, you know, 40% reduction in all-cause mortality. If you sit in a sauna that's at least 170 degrees for 20 minutes, three times a week. There are very few things you can do with that amount of time that have that level of effect. So um, I try and do that, you know, really as much as I can traveling this week so I don't have access to my sauna. Um, but, you know, I'll be back. I'm going to be back in the mountains um, tonight, actually. So tomorrow night, you will find me at the Silver Mountain Gym in their very hot sauna for about 20 minutes. So that's a good one. And that's a really low cost, easy one, low effort. You know, it doesn't really, all you just got to do is just sit there and it works. Okay. And now let's talk about the converse of that, which is cold. Now cold does require more effort. And I like to combine my cold with the hot because, you know, I don't know, getting in like really cold water um, without my body being warm, it, it, I don't know, 
call me a wimp. It's, it's hard. So what I do is I'll do my sauna and then I'll go into something very cold. Um, you know, and they're different kinds of cold too. And they, to me, they have different effects, but I think they're all really good. This again, this sort of falls into the realm of hormetic stress, which is body adaptation stress. Um, and it, the, the good kind of stress, right? Not chronic stress, bad. Um, so if you go into say a cryo chamber, so cryo is something that's um, you know, they use liquid nitrogen and they make the air very cold and you go into this chamber. So that can be a little costly. Um, you know, depending where you go, you can get it down to like 10 bucks a session or so. But, you know, if you're doing that a lot, it, it, it adds up. However, I have a very good friend and she has osteoarthritis. And this is, this is, it's like a miracle. It's like a life changer for her. So she goes... I think she goes three times a week. And for her, she found the effect, the pain relief effect happens about 24, 36 hours after she does it. And that's actually why uh, cryotherapy was developed in Japan, was for osteoarthritis. For me, it's not as impactful as the cold water uh, form of this. So there are different kinds of that. There's, you know, um, circulating water is the most impactful. So they, they make... So these, they're like bathtub sort of things. And the one I've been in 50 degree and 40 degree, 40 degree circulating water is, you know, impactful. Um, but it, it feels great when I get out and, you know, the, the crazies at the gym where I go, it's winter <laughs> in Park City. And so the, one of the outdoor pools freezes. And so what we do is we just break the ice with a barbell and, and go in that. So that water's about, you know close to 32. Um, I, I'm just like true confession. I think the longest I've ever been in that water is maybe a minute. Um, and everything just starts to hurt too much and I got to get out. I will say our very intrepid travel editor, uh, Patricia Garcia Gomez swims year round in the North Atlantic off the North Fork of Long Island. And she goes out there for, you know, like 10, 15, 20 minutes. And, uh, you know, I'm not that. Um, to me, wh- so why do, why do I do the cold? So I do the cold because when I come out of the cold, I feel awesome. Um, it releases all these brain chemicals, all this, you know, especially neuroadrenaline. And, and when I get out of there and I, you know, I sort of towel off and I usually go back into the sauna, I just feel like, give me a math problem, like give me something hard to solve because my brain is just feels great. And it also really helps my muscle recovery. And I think that's part. I mean, people talk about the, you know, cold and it cuts down inflammation. I, yeah, maybe that's a little part of it. To me, the big part is what happens is all the blood gets, gets pulled into the core of my body, my brain, you know, to keep me from dying. And then when I go out it just rushes into all these other parts of my body, the muscles, the tendons, and even, you know, through, through my bones, which it brings nutrients and takes away waste products. And so that really helps me feel better. So second one, cold. So the third one is something that actually requires quite a lot of effort. Last year, I started doing Joel Jameson's eight weeks out program. And I had Joel on the super age podcast a couple of months ago. Joel is probably, I would, you know, 
he's an elite level conditioning coach. And he does this program called Eight Weeks Out. Um, I have no financial relationship with Joel. Um, the program cost $99, <laughs> very little for what it is. And it's um, the first level is like eight weeks with a four week bonus. And then there's like a level two with another four week bonus. And then it comes along with you, you for, it's like another 150 bucks. You buy a monitor for your wrist to measure your HRV in the morning, which was um, really interesting. Um, it's a great metric to know how much stress your body is under or emotionally how much stress your body's under. Uh, and then it, it comes with a chest strap to properly measure your heart rate. So when I started this program, and I was, you know, not that much of a slacker. I, I was in, you know, sort of reasonably reasonable shape for somebody of my age. I really wasn't quite sure I could do it. And I looked at like level two and I was like, oh my God, like that's just going to kill me. Um, but I did it. I did all, I did, you know, all 24 weeks of it. And what I found was at the end of this, which was probably the end of October last year, I was in like extraordinary, at least for me, physical shape. You know, my, I had, my HRV was around 80. My resting heart rate was in the high 40s. I could, I mean, it hurt, but I could do 100 push-ups straight through. I could do like, you know, tw- I think I was doing like 25 pull-ups in a set. Um, and my heart rate recovery was really good. Um, and these are, these are sort of, you know, I'm not bragging about myself. I'm not some kind of elite athlete. Really, all I did was I just was like consistency. It was just like, okay, just do this today and you'll get, this will happen to you. And I was able to do that. I bring this up because the sort of numbers I was able to do, I still, I don't have, I can't run as fast as anywhere near as fast as I used to be able to when I was in my 20s. But a lot of the numbers I have are, you know, sort of top five or 10% of somebody who would be in their mid thirties and I'm 64. So I, I, I want to, I'm saying this because again, you know, something we go on a lot about, we can do incredible things at this age. It's, you know, in this case, it's about being smart, having like, I had a really good program done by a, a master of conditioning and I just followed the program. Just did, you know, whatever Joel wrote down to do that day. That's what I did. And that's sort of it. It's, you know, the good program, the consistency, and, you know, all the things that he also talks about in the program, which are especially rest and recovery. The, the, whatever you're doing physically, the, the sort of improvement in your physicality does not happen in the gym. It happens when you're asleep, when you're resting in recovery, which he talks a lot about. So, um, you know, number three, Joel Jamison's eight weeks out program. And I, I, you know, I just want to say this is, it's not for the faint of heart. I looked at this initially and I thought, oh my gosh, this is for like a collegiate athlete, um, which I was not, but you can become, you know, really fit at this age with the right program and a little consistency. Okay. So the last thing I've got here, we get people send us all kinds of stuff. Like you, you can't believe what comes into my mailbox every week, <laughs> stuff that they want us to test. And you know, we've got this widget, this gadget, whatever it is. And you know, 
if I don't talk about it, it's it's probably because um, it didn't work out so well. So we, we we tend to only talk about the stuff that we test, and um, you know we we think it has some value. So this thing is called a power breathe, and I was told about it through my buddies at the scientific board of the Cleveland Clinic, and they're all like they were just so enthusiastic about this thing, and so I looked it up. And I ordered one and it, it was like back order. It took me like a month to get the thing. So what it does is you, you, you put the thing in your mouth, sort of like how you would breathe through a snorkel. And it restricts the amount of air that you can breathe in. It, it's sort of like weightlifting for the muscles in your chest that expand your chest that allow you to bring more air in. And if you think about it, there aren't a lot of exercises that one does to to help those muscles so i use this thing you know i try to when i'm i'm traveling today so i don't have the thing so i'll use it maybe twice a day twice a day and i'll do like 30 breaths through the thing um the version that i bought was um it comes in different colors. I bought the blue one, which is sort of the middle one. I think there's a green one, a blue one, and a black one. And the black one looks kind of scary. That was like, like super hard. And I thought, well, you know, whatever. I'm the ageist. I can. I'm a badass. I'll do the middle one. And I do it on like I think I'm on like two or two and a half. And I just sort of ratchet it up like a little bit every couple of weeks. And that has helped me expand my lung capacity. Which, you know, I'm not sure that my lung capacity was diminishing, but the, again, my science medical friends are like, hey, unless you like really work on these muscles, they're going to atrophy. And I started thinking about it, you know, sarcopenia, lack of muscle tissue with um, what allows my body to breathe, (laughs) like something I want to avoid. So I've been using this thing. So I think you can get them on Amazon. Um, it's a, it's a very interesting thing. They, some physicians, uh, tell people with CPOD, which is a, uh, breathing disorder to use them. I would say maybe, you know, again, I'm not a doctor, but maybe using one of these things would prevent these sort of, some of these, um, breathing disorders to, um, to happen. So I think it's called a power breathe. Um, and you can just Google it. I think we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. So those are my four. Um, sauna, hot, um, cold, cold, voluntary cold exposure. Nobody's locking you in a freezer. It's like you make the choice. Um, the Joel Jameson eight weeks out program for all you sporty spice folks out there who want to get like super fit. Um, that, that works. Um, and power breathe. Whew. Okay. That was like a lot of talking. (laughs) Thank you all for your time today. I really appreciate your time and attention. And as always, Hey, guess what? You can leave us up to a five-star review. Have you done that yet? We would really appreciate that. You can also leave a comment wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you have any questions on any of the stuff that I talked about, david at superage.com, hit me up. Um, I will do my best to answer all of your emails promptly and always personally. we got another great show next week. Looking forward to having you with us. Everyone, have a great week.